Welcome back to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. And this is the show where about two and a half weeks ago, we told you the Orioles were sort of okay. We weren't in love with the early play, but, you know, uh, saw some room for improvement. And since that recording, uh, our Baltimore Orioles have gone 10 and 2, guys. Um, are we starting to eat some crow? Jesse, you're smiling there. <laughs> yeah, they heard us loud and clear. Uh, so, yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's been, yeah, wild to watch. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's been uh, been a lot of fun. The Orioles are good, I guess. Question: I think we asked that question a couple times last year. This year, maybe asking a little bit off more often, but um eli i don't know are the orioles good you think um i think the orioles are good i think they're good but i do not think they're as good as their record shows oh um i think that we have benefited from facing the detroit tigers an awful lot well Uh, and i'm concerned that having only like three hitters hitting in our lineup at any given time uh, is going to eventually start to be a not sustainable process. Yeah, it doesn't sound ideal. Uh, do you want me to? I'll go through the teams they've beaten or they've played since we last recorded. And then, Jess, I know you had something to to pop in there, but real quick, because this kind of uh, this plays into Eli's point there. Uh, the Orioles went two and zero in DC. Then they swept the Tigers at home. Took two out of three from the Red Sox at home. Took three out of four. This isn't in order. They took three out of four from the Athletics at home. And then just today as we're recording, they finished up taking three out of four from those very same Tigers. So in this 10-2 and run, they've won six times against the lowly Detroit Tigers. Jess, do you want to say something there? Well, I was just kind of thinking, uh, you know, going 10 and two has allowed me to sort of emotionally move on from the Ryan McKenna air, you know, so <laughs> that's been nice. Um, you know, kind of forgotten about that since, but I uh, brought it right back up. So I feel like you need right. a little more therapy. Okay. On that point. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. Maybe, uh, but, uh, no, I felt like, uh, of course, watching them play right now is really exciting. It's, I think what we were all hoping for to see something like this break out, um, the Orioles had, what was it? How many games did they win in a row last year? Oh, shoot. I know. I should know. Was it, it wasn't like 14. I think it was like 10 or 11 or something, yeah, but that's, I'll look it up. Go ahead. Okay. Gotcha. But uh, in any case, uh, so it, it's really nice. I mean, it's really exciting when a team gets really hot and the Orioles are right now, despite the, despite the bad schedule that they've had um, a lot of baseball uh, at the end of the year turns out to be beating the teams you should beat. And most of the time we're sweeping them um, or a lot of the time we're sweeping them. Um, So right now I'm feeling really, really positive. So. Yeah. Well, and what I will say about the week schedule, because you're right. I mean, this is it's a little bit uh, it hasn't been totally fair of like the complexion of the entire league with the Orioles have faced this year. It's been like the Tigers, a lot of the AL Central, which is the White Sox, who, you know, I think coming into the year, people kind of viewed as sort of a mediocre team. And they look much worse than that this year. The Orioles beat them in a series. Um, but at the same time, this is also kind of the result of what is supposed to be a more even schedule versus what we as Orioles fans are used to. I mean, you know, the AL East is tough in general. And if you're a fan of like the Yankees or the Red Sox, 
you're used to playing those teams or you're used to playing. If you're the Yankees fan, you play the Red Sox a bunch and they're typically pretty good. You play the Rays a bunch. They're typically pretty good. And the Orioles are this easy team you tend to have on your schedule. As Oriole fans, we don't really have those easy games historically because we're playing the Yankees, Red Sox, Blue Jays, who are good right now, and the Rays. We're playing all of those teams less now. That means we're going to get more of these games against the AL Central, which is, you know, objectively the worst division in baseball. And maybe the Orioles aren't 19 and 9 good as they are right now as we record, but they maybe are closer to that than has been reflected in their record in previous years. You know what I mean? They, the re- early rebuild years, the Orioles were obviously terrible, but even last year, if they play the Red Sox le- or the uh, the Yankees less or the Rays less, maybe they win three, four, five more games and they're a playoff team a year ago. You know what I mean? So I think there's there's some, I don't know, it's uneven in, in on, on both accounts, if that makes any sense. Well, this schedule change, I mean, <clears throat> came at the perfect time for the Orioles, yeah. right? Because... <laughs> I mean, this AL East is, I mean, we were talking about it before the podcast, is just ridiculous right now. And granted, when we were kids, there were definitely years where it was ridiculous. But um, the Red Sox may be a weak link in the division. But other than that, they are really, really, every team in this division is very, very talented. The Yankees are actually last in the division right now, which makes me very happy to say. But but (laughs) that's true, but I still don't. I no, still no. think the Red Sox are the weak link in in the division, but I yeah. Hear you. yeah, yeah. I don't think the Yankees are the worst team. They're not the worst team, but they right. are the last place team. And, and growing we should up, just take the time to say right. It. You're right. How often growing up did we see the Yankees in last place? Correct. Exactly. Go ahead, Tyler. Sorry. Well, what I'll say about the Yankees, though, I think if over like their last hundred games, the Yankees aren't very good. Like going back to last year, they're not very good. Judge was obviously great last year, but. When Aaron Judge isn't having, we got to see what the Yankees look like when Aaron Judge isn't having a historic MVP season, which he's not going to do this year what he did last year. He's still really good this year. But the Yankees, you know, they're a team that's buoyed a little bit more by one really good player than I think we tend to think of them. Now, they're also going to get Carlos Rodon back later this year, big free agent signing who hasn't even pitched for him yet. That's That's unfortunate. That's going to make things (laughs) tougher. Um. But yeah, I mean, the Yankees are, you know, they'll, they'll be there for sure. But yeah, the division is just ridiculous. Um, but I think also kind of related to this, when we last talked about when we wrapped up the previous podcast episode, we said that all these games coming up, it sounded like the Orioles could win a whole bunch of them. And you only do that if you are a pretty good team. You know, you have to be a, a, a good team to win 10 out of 12 games. I mean, that doesn't happen to mediocre teams or even bad teams. Um, so you, you have to win the games that are in front of you. I remind you of, I think, the 2021 Tampa Bay Rays who lost to the Orioles one time and won like 102 games or something that year and won the division by like eight games or whatever. You got to beat up on the little guys because that at the end of the day, those games matter just as much as as the other games. So you got to play who's in front of you. The Orioles did that. And, you know, right after we record, they're going to have three more games against a really bad team, the Royals. So they should win even more games. So I don't know, maybe they're not on pace for, or they're not really like 108 win team or whatever they're on pace for, but um, I don't know, maybe they're better than we all were giving them credit for coming into the year, which I think was just about stasis, like repeating what they did last year, you know? So maybe they're a little bit better than that. Yeah. Um, It's, it's a little, it's a, yeah. I mean, I don't want to get overconfident um, and, 
I am urging caution to all the listeners, <laughs> right? But with yeah. that said, um, I mean, there are some... It's kind of what I said, I think I think I said this a episode or two ago. I think a lot of the season is dependent on a lot of our players performing sort of at levels that we haven't previously experienced. So our team is not a team that has a bunch of guys that we're going to rely on their track record, for instance, right? We have a couple of them, right? But overall, um, our season is going to come down to, right, like, this this rotation how good is Bradish going to be this year how good is Rodriguez and Kramer going to be this year right and then you look at the offense you look at Henderson you look at Adley you look at Mateo now right so I mean I think the season hangs you know is dependent upon sort of people putting together seasons that we haven't seen them put together before sure well, I think that's why the Orioles lagged a little bit in some preseason projections. And I think like Pakoda over on baseball reference still has the Orioles as like a sub 500 team projected out or maybe right. like just above. And that's because, you know, projection systems have to take into account some players that don't have long track records. And the Orioles are a team with a number of players not there. So I think that's a, that's a fair statement, Jesse. And those types of players are also susceptible to like small sample size overperformance or underperformance and we might be seeing some of that right now um so that's a good point um anything else we want to kind of touch on with with the early success of the Orioles Eli anything maybe going better or worse or, or what do you want to point out here yeah I I don't know we talked about it last time the pitching is still worse for me <laughs> um like I, I'm still disappointed in our rotation um and we'll get into Dean Kramer specifically but um, I think it should be said Kyle Bradish has struggled a little bit. Um, Tyler Wells has been a huge boon. He's been really phenomenal. Uh, it's been happy. It's been great to see him. Grayson looks like he's starting to find his footing, but then again, like we've talked about, that was against the Tigers, you know, and that is literally the worst, uh, worst offense in the league. So yeah. I don't know. I, I, I am, I am scared about starting to play some tougher lineups. You know, it's like when you go in and you face a one, two, three, you know, from the Blue Jays, that's like George Springer and, then, Bo you know, Bichette. Bo Bichette and then Vlad Guerrero. Like, I'm not confident in running Dean Kramer out there right now. And Kramer, you know, was phenomenal last year, um, but he's got all kinds of problems this year. Um, so, I, yeah. Don't want to get too much into it, of course, yeah. but we like, I, I think there are cracks in our armor um, and I am scared to see them exploited. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I was pretty impressed by uh, the, the Zach McKinstry led Detroit Tigers uh, this past <laughs> week, a guy I had very little familiarity with, um, but the point is well taken. I think they had that guy, Nick Maton hit cleanup a couple times with like a 150 yep. batting average, which... <laughs> No batting average isn't everything, but I, I feel like every time I saw him come up, he struck out. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I what I will say, yeah, the starting pitching has definitely been worse. I, I think worse than even like some of our low expectations for aspects of it, because like you said, we thought Kramer would be better. We thought Bradish would be better. Um, as far as what's gone better than expected, though, I think on the offensive side of things is that the Orioles are walking a ton still, and they're not really striking out. Now, they're not really hitting a ton of home runs either right now. I feel like that's kind of dried up a little bit. 
but just the, the approach at the plate is like foreign to me as an Orioles fan of, <laughs> you know, 30 years there, the, yeah. you know, I think we've talked about this, but the Showalter era was, you know, go all, all out for home runs and just hope it works out. <clears throat> and this team just walks at a ridiculous rate. Like everybody walks except Ryan Mountcastle pretty much like the whole lineup walks. Um, yeah. The- the thing that is so amazing, I, I think Gunner is like the perfect example of that. He's literally hitting 200 flat, but he walks so often that his OPS is still like 97 or OPS plus. I'm sorry. So yeah. he's like a league average hitter, despite having like a 392 slugging. I was just looking at it, you know, low slugging, low batting average, but he's just walking and putting himself on base all the time. Yeah, and and that can kind of save your offense sometimes when the ball's not leaving the ballpark because then you can manufacture runs and that's kind of what the Orioles do on occasion where they need to, they can cobble together four or five runs and and get a win. And again, it's coming against some bad teams, but that's just a new a new dynamic. Um so that's something that I think I I feel is going to maintain just because the whole, you know, mantra of the organization in the last year or two especially has been the swing decision stuff and like plate discipline and, and strike zone awareness and all that. And all these guys coming up, I think are going to kind of have that hammered into their head or else they weren't going to be drafted by the Orioles. So I feel pretty good about that. Um, and I have some hope that the pitching is going to bounce back at, at least, you know, John means will be back at some point. I they they're going to make a trade. They have to make a trade. And those are, those could be two big pieces right there that totally transform a rotation. Um, so that's just kind of my two cents on the pitching for now. Um, anything to add before we jump to the next topic here, boys? No, do it. All right. Let's talk about somebody who is, you know, we're intimately familiar with, uh, who made his debut with the Baltimore Orioles this week. Uh, Joey Ortiz has been a shortstop in the organization for a couple of years now, former draft pick out of New Mexico state or was it New Mexico or New Mexico state? Yep. New Mexico state. Okay. Uh, got called up this past weekend for the series against the Tigers, made a couple of starts, went two for eight with a strikeout, a run, and four RBI, uh, which was pretty huge. However, as of this recording, he has already been sent back down to AAA. Stowers has been recalled. Um, Eli, maybe I'll go to you first because you're the one that of the three of us, because um, I don't know him at all, but the three of us that knows Joey <laughs> um, the best. Um, you know, just what are your thoughts on the call up and uh, has, how he performed this weekend? Yeah, I guess I'll give the little bit of context here. So I, I played on a summer league team in the Calverton Collegiate Baseball League. Um, and my parents actually, while I was playing on it, were host parents and involved with the team and such. So Joey spent a couple of weeks living with us. Um, and then, you know, I ended up playing 45 games with him over the span of two months. So I uh, saw plenty of them. I made a joke on Twitter, but I was like, it was nice pitching in front of him because I had no hope of striking anybody out. And so <laughs> I needed a good shortstop behind me. Uh, but yeah, it was super cool to see. And, you know, he comes up and has three RBIs in his first game, turned a couple double plays throughout the weekend and just, you know, did what you can hope for, you know, uh, two for eight. That's a 250 batting average. That's league yeah. average and a couple of ribbies. It's just, it was just cool. You know, it's nice to see, um, nice to see some personnel movement with the Orioles, you know, and we like continue to have this excitement, all the excitement that we had with Adley coming up, with Gunner coming up, with Grayson coming up, you know, like 
understanding that this pipeline is still so full of legitimate big league talent uh, and continuing to get to see that blossom at the major league level. There's, there's nothing better. Yeah. Also worth noting. He also uh, lied to Eric Haas about being out at second base. <laughs> I saw. Yeah. That, <laughs> yes. I don't know. I don't think he meant to lie to him, but he did. Uh, um, I don't so know. I, cool. Yeah. I was, I was I, thinking I, about texting him about that. <laughs> it, it's, it's fascinating, but I gotta say like Haas cannot, I mean, you cannot yeah. trust an opposing player. <laughs> Oh, uh, something like that. You got to go to the umpire directly, right? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. So it yeah. definitely, it, it definitely seemed like he he lied to him, but you know, <laughs> I, I don't know. Anything yeah. to get the out, man. Anything, to right? Yeah, that's I mean, his defensive. Yeah. You know, his uh, intuition just coming through, being like, I didn't. He, didn't <laughs> he beat me to the bag, so I got to get him out a different way. <laughs> um. But yeah, I mean, you can go on Joey's uh, baseball reference and you go to his like minor league stats and his his stint with the Baltimore Dodgers is on there. So you can go see how oh, he uh, how he played. Yeah, uh, I, I am actually on baseball reference because of that. <laughs> None of the stats are impressive, but <laughs> but I'm there. Uh, that's cool. I mean, hey, you are the, the one of the three of us that is on baseball reference. That is <laughs> that is worth bragging about. So I, I like that. Um, I, I, just just a quick note, though, Eli, yeah. I th- I'm pretty confident he did play a lot of second base for the Dodgers when he played with you two, though. So, yeah, he did. Uh, yeah, he played both. You just commented on his shortstop. So I was. just Yeah, I mean, he played adding... more shortstop, but we usually had him at short, Austin at third. So there you go. Okay. I, I, don't, I don't need you to tell me about my team. You know, he's OK. Look, let... Jesse's just trying <laughs> to let you know. he's got he's got familiarity with like the dirt in the Baltimore area on both sides of the bag. So when yeah. he does eventually play at Camden Yards, he'll be uh, ready to exactly. go. Exactly. That's what Jesse was be making my debut at thirty-seven. <laughs> you know. So, uh, Jess, but how about you? What are your thoughts on uh, you know maybe not how his weekend went because Eli kind of covered that, but what do you think about him being sent right back down in favor of Stowers? Um, are you comfortable with that, or what do you think? Well, that's that's the thing that I gotta say is sort of unfortunate about us doing this segment is you know our <laughs> excitement is dampened by. Well, he's also he's already back down. So, um, I mean, it's okay. I, I mean, Stowers obviously has a place on the team too. So, um, I mean, I, I before the season, I thought it was going to be tougher for Joey to be on the major league team. You know, since we signed uh, Frazier, um, so I thought his road was a little more difficult, and his path to the majors was a little more difficult. So it's not surprising to me that there's going to be some sort of shuffling around, um, you know, throughout the course of the year. Even though, you know, because of the CBO or the CBA, uh, there is a uh, a limitation on how much the Orioles will be able to just shuffle and send guys up and down and stuff like that. But um, overall, um the Orioles are going to try to do that to the maximum. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if guys sort of in, in Joey's situation, uh, Stowers, et cetera, et cetera, they do kind of go up, go back and forth. Yeah. And you know, they're using, it seems like the Orioles are going to use the 40 man roster to like it's absolute maximum capacity, like ability. Um, it seems like what they did with Stowers and and Ortiz was kind of a platoon sort of thing where there was left-handed starters. So they brought Joey up to face them and put Frazier on the bench. And now they're going to face more righties um, today. And then through the Royal series, they're going to have Stowers play and Joey's going back down. 
I, I don't, you know, I, the Orioles are the team I'm the most intimately familiar with. I don't know how many teams do that with like prospect types where they kind of shuffle, shuffle them around based on like the starting pitchers coming up that week. That seems kind of like odd to me, but they said the same thing when Stowers got sent down was we're facing a bunch of lefties with Oakland. So he's going to go down and get everyday playing time. Just I, I do. Very odd. I do have real sort of objections to that sort of yeah philosophy. That doesn't that doesn't what, make sense to me. Because I actually kind of like it. What, what's the objection? Well, the objection is there's no sort of consistency, right? I mean, you want these young guys to sort of know their place. Well, not know their place, but know their role <laughs> and uh, sort of have some sort of stability as they're trying to grow and develop as players. And I I think it's I think it's negative that um, they're yeah they lack that sort of stability um yeah i don't know kind of the way that i'm seeing it is like i I think it's sort of an acknowledgement from the orioles you know joey like you know he had the long-term injury came back struggled a little bit and then tore it up at the end of last year comes out tearing it up again i think it's a little bit of an acknowledgement that these guys are getting to the point where there's less and less for them to learn at AAA. Um, and, and so, you, you know, like if you want to keep pushing a top prospect forward, right. And you want to continue sustained growth for them, you, you know, like it doesn't help anyone to have Joey or t- like Joey Westberg Norby just sitting there you know, and just playing every day in AAA where they have been playing and, you know, Westbrook's got a 950 OPS. So, so then make them make a find a way to make them major leaguers or trade them or something. Well, well, but I mean, that's just it is like, I I think they are letting the situation develop. And while they are in this waiting period, you know, evaluating, like, I, you know, I don't think the Orioles make a move people don't usually make big trades in the first month of the season, you know, so it's going to be probably at least another month until we see some kind of trade move. And so in the meantime, the way that you can a showcase these players, right. Joey can come up, show that he can handle being a middle infielder in the major leagues, you know, like driving a couple runs in clutch situations. And then, you can bring Kyle Stowers back up and Kyle Stowers can go ahead and, you know, like poke a ball over the shortstop like he did today. You, you know, it's like. Well, I, 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 I disagree with the showcase part. I mean, especially with Joey. I mean, yeah, someone like Stowers, right. The Orioles have sort of been showcasing him in a sense. I mean, why, jo- I, why not Joey? Well, two for eight with, I mean, that's not a showcase. I mean, his value didn't jump up because he went two for eight. Uh, okay yeah i mean but like it, he's being put in front of more major league teams coaches scouts he's you know he's just out there i, I mean like i'm not i don't think the intent was to showcase necessarily but i i think it's like an added benefit that you can show this guy has had major league time and has handled himself just fine i do also think that what the orders are trying to do right now is stagger the the young guys to get experience at like different at like varying levels if that makes sense but i don't think they you can't promote ortiz stowers westberg everybody like all at the same right. time and have everybody with like a year or two of experience on the roster which like if you talk about like who has the absolute most talent at every position 
a lot of the answers there would be like guys that are at AAA or guys that have been in the big leagues for less time than whatever. But so I think the Orioles are attempting to like get these guys up at different intervals and get them levels of experience um, at, at different paces to, to at some point, I think there's some sort of like mad scientist reasoning that it's all going to click at some point, but yeah, they, they seem apprehensive to promote these young guys for the long haul, unless you're like, the absolute creme de la creme type of player. They're not even doing it with DL Hall, who was a first rounder, who's obviously had his issues, but they're not doing it there. Only Henderson and Adley, basically. Only, pretty much only Henderson and Adley. So, like, unless you are like the guys, you're not coming up as a fixture. Um, and even less so for for Ortiz, because I, I don't know if they expected this breakout from Mateo this year, but the fact that it's happened. You, Mateo's playing every single day. He's got to, and he's got to be the shortstop every single day. And then Gunner's going to play most days, and he's probably going to be at third base or DH, or he's going to be at third base a lot of the time. That takes up that that takes away even more opportunities for Ortiz, who could probably play some third base at the big league level. I just think the season is it's a combination of the season is turning out a little bit different than I think maybe the Orioles thought with the emergence of Mateo and the fact that there's so many young guys, they're not all going to get up. I think. Like Kowser, when he comes up, he'll be up. Like, and he's up forever. But they're gonna they're gonna jostle these guys back and forth. And I it's it's weird because it's with position players, but I think like with a pitcher, although Hall is not the best example, you could see a guy come up and just be like a bullpen guy. They like the Orioles did it with Gossman years ago. He was a bullpen right. guy for like that first season or like the second half of that first season, and then was in the rotation. It's tougher to do that with a bench guy because with a with a with a position player because you don't really know when he's going to get in the game so you kind of if you're going to do that sort of a thing where you just give him a taste you kind of have to promote him and demote him but as you said Jesse it, it's not you can't just do it once a week because the CBA doesn't allow it so i guess they're trying to like toe that line and figure out the balance and this is kind of what it looks like um yeah i i mean to me it's like I- I think they're trying to find opportunities for advancement for these guys while simultaneously having the roster constraints that we do, you know, and and like the roster constraints of having 17 middle infielders on the team is not going to go away until, you know, we like get into the season a little bit. There is some data on some potential trade, you know, prospects and such. Um, Not to say we're trading for prospects, but prospective trade pieces. Uh, and so I think this is an opportunity to, yeah, like continue the advancement of these guys and under a, like under the umbrella of the team as a whole cannot have, like you said, Tyler, seven, you know, seven second base shortstop prospects and right. three major leaguers. Yeah. Right. And, and your point about Mateo, I think is a good one because I think it was sort of, I mean, we certainly bought into it sort of in the off season. It was somewhat conventional wisdom that Mateo would be traded at the deadline to make room for some of these other guys. But I mean, he's been so good, of course, that it's yeah. probably probably he's leapfrogged them and he's going to be the shortstop. I, I mean, it, if, you know, he somewhat continues, you know, yeah. what he's doing, Um, obviously not exactly this is even required but he's probably leapfrogged westberg and and joey of course for shortstop so at this point um 
Right. Like one of the other guy, one of the prospects are at this point are more likely to get traded and he's probably going to stay around. So, yeah. yeah and the Joe, Orioles probably weren't expecting that this off season. Yeah. And so it kind of, it works out that they didn't trade from that shortstop surplus, at least not yeah. yet. Yeah. Not yet. Um, all right. Well, let's move on. Speaking of a guy that's kind of leapfrogged people, uh, Yenny or Cano out of nowhere, uh, this is a guy that came from the Minnesota Twins last year in the Jorge Lopez deal, kind of as like a throw-in piece. Like he went on the 40-man, but he was already 28, 29 years old and kind of struggled in his big league career, uh, the little bit of time he had had with the Twins. Uh, struggled with the Orioles late in the season. Now he comes up and he is suddenly like uh, – uh, an eighth inning guy, a ninth inning guy for the Orioles, like right away. And he's like thriving in the role. He's made nine appearances, thrown 11 innings, is yet to allow a hit, is yet to walk anyone. I think he's let one person on by hitting them, right? Right. The only base runner he's allowed in like, well, I guess he faced four more last night. So I think it's like 33 hitters or something like that. So is... he, he, he nearly threw a perfect game over Right. The he course. threw a no hitter. Yeah. yeah, people were saying that online. He threw a yeah. no hitter. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he is suddenly the Orioles' best reliever. He got a save today, a second one. Uh, the Orioles are trying to, it seems like, give Felix Bautista a day off uh, more often. Um, but Eli, I don't know. Do you want to tell us about like Yenny or Cano and how he's doing this? Yeah, I mean, he's just uh, first off, he's awesome. <laughs> that that's like my primary only point right here. The second thing. <laughs> The average launch angle against him is negative 7.9 degrees. It's like people can't even hit it straight. It's everything that is made contact with just goes immediately into the ground. It's hilarious. Um, But I think like what is so devastating about him. uh, So he's got, you know, he's got a slider as well. And it's not a bad pitch by any means. But, you know, he's got his sinker, his sinker that's riding more than uh more than 95 miles an hour and it's got 19 inches of movement and he's got a change up that also induces 19 inches of movement on almost the exact same axis at five miles an hour slower so you know these pitches play so well together they're the perfect perfect example of what people talk about when they say tunneling um and you know these two pitches come out of the hand they look exactly the same each one is gross in its own right, but pairing them together, he's just been making people look silly. You, you know, he he throws in the changeup, they go down to a knee, and he hits the Aroldis Chapman stare, as he said. You know, it's a uh, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. He's been like phenomenal. He absolutely brings like the closer type of uh, attitude to the mound that the flair, right? We, like we all love Felix, but Felix is not that guy. He's right. not that guy. <laughs> he, he's got the big arm, but he seems like a nice, just <laughs> nice guy you could talk to in a pleasant conversation. He seems very gentle. Yeah. Like, very gentle. Not exactly. inti- yeah, right. His celebration is giving two thumbs up. Yes. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like. <laughs> right. Exactly. So it's, it's, it's crazy uh, that this guy Cano has come out of nowhere to suddenly be, you know, I won't say he's, he's usurped Felix as the top, relief pitcher but i it feels like he's number two right now um i don't know jess do you have any any initial thoughts on yenny or cano 
Well, I, I, I will say, I think he is serving a critical function for the Orioles in the bullpen right now, especially with the injury of Dylan Tate. Um, it's really real. And, and with the struggles recently of CNL Perez, um, I, I, it's been really, really important for the Orioles to sort of have this eighth inning slash closer arm back there. Um, so that's been really good. Um, I think, uh, I mean, this very much feels like uh, a manifestation of the Orioles somewhat replicating the Rays model. I mean, you always talk about um, Tyler on this podcast, how the Orioles are turning into this organization that can just produce pitching talent. Right. And I mean, Cano had no. Right, like you had said, he was a, he was a throw in 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 the Jorge Lopez trade. Um, I mean, there were no organizations really around Major League Baseball that were really really highly valuing this guy. Um, how uh, at least in the way that he is performing right now. Um, so the fact that the Orioles were sort of able to take this pitcher and you know make him into a some sort of uh really high level talent at least for right now um in the back of the bullpen uh, i mean it's been it's been great and i think it is a reflection of um the orioles being able to to sort of cultivate this and and get the best out of the pitchers that they uh that the organization is given so yeah, I mean, it definitely sounds like the type of thing where they saw some traits in him, clearly wasn't perfect, um, had some struggles even with the Orioles, so they didn't even fix stuff right away, but something has clicked, and as is often the case with relievers, you kind of just got to ride the wave and see how long it takes you for, because it could come crashing down. You know, I, I there's no evidence to suggest that this guy is a, is a dude for the next decade, but um, for right now, you got to keep riding it. Um, what you said about the need for him in this moment, Jesse, I think is important because yeah, the Orioles are, have been a little thin given some situations, but it, Michael Givens and Dylan Tate, I believe are, are rehabbing right now, or will I know Tate's already rehabbing. Givens I think is going to start rehabbing here soon. You would imagine both of them come back and go right back into the bullpen. Um, so I don't know. Do we have any thoughts in terms of like what's going to happen there? I, I mean, cause what I'll say about Cano is, if you just look at him from afar and the way he throws, it looks kind of like Michael Givens to me. Oh so yeah. Absolutely. I don't, do you have two of those guys in the same bullpen? I, I don't know. I, I guess you do. I guess you do, but. <laughs> That's right. actually super interesting. I, mm-hmm. you, you know, what's interesting about it and granted, I haven't seen Givens in a little while. Um, right. you, you know, like I wasn't going to turn on the Cubs last year, but the, uh, yeah, the interesting thing about it is I, I do think that the repertoires are pretty different. You know, Givens largely threw a four-seam fastball and worked with the slider, whereas Cano is purely like arm side movement and sink and change and, you know, just kind of mixing in the slider. So despite the very, arm very slot. similar arm slots, you know, they do kind of employ them differently. Um, I think which helps. You, you know, it's a... It's still true that it's nice to mix and match arm angles. I remember there was, uh, I think in 2021, there was a, somebody stitched together all of the bullpen 
arm slots from the Rays, and it just mm-hmm. made like a perfect semicircle. <laughs> I mean, they had filled in the entire thing. So it's definitely something that is looked at. Uh, and that's an interesting point, Tyler. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd have to, I, I mean, I know Cano is much bigger than Givens. Cano is a big dude. Yeah. And Givens is, I, you know, I think Givens could, could fade into a crowd because he's not like, he doesn't look like a professional athlete, I think, initially, whereas Cano looks like a basketball player. But um I think also it it may be less of a question than actually needs to be addressed. I mean, I think there are a lot of questions about this Givens injury and, and how effective and how good he will be um if and when he returns. So um it it might it might not even be a a question the Orioles even really have to think about can we afford to have two? So well that's true. And as we just said, the the volatility of relievers, you know, everybody's good right now, or ever you know, the 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 makeup uh is logical right now, but that could change in a week's time, two weeks time. So who knows? But um I it does feel like some tough decision is gonna have to get made. Um Sino Prez is out of options. Danny Coulomb's been great, so I wouldn't even worry about that. Keegan Aiken is suddenly kind of bad after his paternity right. leave. Right. So, I, I mean, that's kind of the interesting thing to me. Keegan Aiken can still be optioned. Yeah. And, and so, to me, you know, like, I, I agree. I think that Sino Perez has been worse, but I think that you have 97 with a power slider from the right. left side. And Right. That's going to get picked up on waivers somewhere, especially because of how good he was last year. Right. So to me, that says you can't really do that. I mean, uh, he he had a sub two ERA last year. I mean, he was incredible. Yeah. Well, yeah. Right? And, I think it was sub two. Right. Uh, I don't think yeah. it was. It was. But, probably, oh. I, I know Perez had the best ERA in the bullpen, even though he didn't pitch as the the best. Yeah, he had a one point four zero ERA. Oh, damn. Yeah. okay. But yeah, and I will say about Aiken because Coulomb's been so good, right. we don't really need the third lefty. Um, so yeah, but but that's one spot. Then it becomes the second spot that I guess it's between I think both, it's, both who has no yeah. options or Ballman who does have an option. I, I think I it's mean both. Ballman, Ballman was the other guy I was looking at. Yeah, but Ballman has been really good, except his last outing. Okay, but yeah, yeah one outing, but both has been pretty bad all year. Yeah, yeah. So, both both was okay. Today. Both was good last year, though. Ballman was not good last year. You know, yeah, well, Ballman was in AAA most of the year, right? And like, still yeah. developing to an extent. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, it's tough to do. E- even if it's Ballman or Voth, they kind of fill similar voids in that they're like multi-inning guys, right? And Aiken is the same. So you're bringing back two one-inning guys. Although I know Tate can go both both Givens and Tate can go more than one. But I think they're, they're more, basically one inning guys. Yeah. yeah. So that is a little bit tough, but you're op. It'd be optioning both of them, so it's not like they're gone forever. So that probably is the easy way to go. So the way the Orioles will go. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, let's talk about a pitcher who's not pitching so well. Dean Kramer. Uh, his season so far in twenty nine and two thirds, he's got a six sixty seven ERA, one fifty eight WHIP, and he's allowed thirty eight hits, nine walks. Uh. Eli, you said before you were texting us saying you were ready to rip him apart. Um, <laughs> would you like to proceed to do that? I, well, I should say I like Dean Kramer. And the reason I was like eager to dive into this is because, you know, 
Jesse and I, as the resident Israeli baseball fans, are, you know, super, super invested in the well-being and health of Dean Kramer. So We love I, Dean Kramer on this podcast. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. So, you know, I had to, like, really get into what's going on with him because I care for him so much. Tough and, love. Yeah. I, I don't know. There's a, there's a small part of, like, the Jewish ethos that is you know giving <laughs> open and honest feedback regardless of how it makes the other person feel so yeah, yeah. we um it's what we're here to do <laughs> <laughs> uh all right so like at face value dean kramer's arsenal looks even better than it was last year so he's throwing every pitch but his sinker harder and the sinker is just about as hard. It's 0.1 miles an hour slower, and that's just kind of in the noise of the data. Negligible. Right. Every pitch he threw last year has as much or more movement this year. And he added a new pitch in the sweeper that he's throwing. So it's like, at face value, the arsenal should be playing up better than it did last year. And so then, you know, you kind of start looking at the pitch locations. You're like, okay, what, what's going on here? So, like, at face value, he's just, he's attacking people a little bit less. First pitch strikes are down 8%. He's throwing fewer pitches on the edge of the plate. And I think, kind of consequently, hitters are chasing less and less frequently, and they're chasing, like, 7% less. You know, so his ability to induce a swing on a pitch that's outside the zone was part of what kind of set him apart last year. Uh, and he has really like lost that ability, I think, because he has had such a harder time finding the edges of the plate. Um, and that's like particularly noticeable with his cutter, which has been destroyed this year. Hitters are slugging 905 against it. Um, and so you can kind of see this. Baseball Savant has this really nice metric. Um, they call them like swing take runs. And you can kind of value uh, swing and take decisions against a pitcher or for a hitter uh, in terms of runs. So last year, Dean Kramer in the heart of the plate was at minus 10 runs. Uh, shadow, which is like kind of outer third, inner third, et cetera, negative 13 runs. He still didn't get many people to chase. So that was a like plus seven runs and waste pitches. He also didn't do much, but this year, in the heart of the plate, he's getting destroyed. You know, it's five runs, and this is a stat that does accumulate, so the numbers will get bigger and bigger as the year goes on. Um, and, like, the chases and the waste pitches are still positive as well. So that's all to say he is living in the middle of the plate. People are punishing him there. When he tries to go off and tries to get people to chase, he's not able to make it convincing enough and people are able to lay off everything that he puts out, you know, outside the zone. So I think, you know, there's a certain element of he's probably working with this like retooled and kind of upgraded repertoire, but it's just a little bit too early in the year for him to have fully figured it out. Um, and like the sweeper and cutter in particular are finding the inner third to a lefty all the time. And that was a pitch that he was really able to get in on the hands of people last year. His cutter was one of his most effective pitches by, or his most effective pitch by run value last year. 
and it seems like he is totally unable to get that to his glove side. Um, and that might like speak to something mechanical as well. I admittedly have not like watched a video of him or anything like that. So take that with a grain of salt. But yeah, all in all, retooled repertoire, everything like from a pitch metric standpoint looks like it should be really good. He just is not spotting up. He's finding the middle of the plate. He's unable to put people away. Um, and he's really, really being punished for it. Yeah. You want to you want to go with Jess? I, yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, it's been interesting to watch because he's not getting. I think I think it would have been within the realm of reasonable expectations that Dean Kramer would have stretches this year where he would struggle. Right. What's a little surprising, kind of like Eli was talking about, is the way in which he is struggling and he's not walking a lot of guys like we would expect him um if he was struggling my first thing would would go to command right so obviously Eli was identifying that he's had command issues uh the first pitch strikes and command within the strike zone clearly is not there but with that said he's getting hit around a lot um and that's been really the big problem so that's kind of a different a different issue than I would sort of normally expect. But like Eli was saying with, with the new set and new arrangement of pitches, you know, there is going to be an adjustment period for that. So um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's a little uh, yeah, I guess I'm just, I've, I've been surprised by how much he's been hit. You know, that's, I guess that's my big takeaway from all of this because um, I mean, he's given up almost like 10 more hits than innings pitched, right? And his whip is just through the roof. It's like 150. So not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, back to what Eli was saying about the, the cutter against lefties. Lefties are torturing Kramer. Righties are not really hitting him that well. Lefties have a 390 batting average, 429 OBP, and a 627 slugging. So... I think like if you want to boil it down to maybe like a pitch against one type of batter, putters against lefties, uh, definitely seems to be the issue. Um, something else I wanted to like say was that it, it's also possible Dean Kramer wasn't quite as good last year as we felt like he was. And he's not also not as bad this year as he currently is pitching. And the true Dean Kramer could be somewhere kind of in the middle. Um, I feel like you're trying to say this very carefully, Tyler. Well, the reason I'm saying it is that, <laughs> so if you look at his numbers last year, 3.23 ERA, his expected ERA was 4.49, and his expected fielding independent pitching was 4.43. This year's ERA is 6.67, bad, and his expected ERA is bad, 6.94, but his expected uh, fielding independent pitching is 4.82. So if you kind of view that as an ERA, 4.82, that's not that different from an expected ERA of 449 last year. Um, and the other numbers that s jump off the page at me as to why the ERA is inflated is his home run rate is just like way higher right now. He's giving up home run. His home run per fly ball rate is 18.4%, which is astronomical. Yeah. Uh, last year was 7.3%, which is really pretty good. Um, so yeah, people are just leaving the ballpark on him a little more often. Um, 
And then I, I do think he's getting, he's getting hit hard, which is, is part of this problem, but also he's a little unlucky. His batting average on balls in play is 348. Um, so I think what we're seeing with Dean right now is he's not pitching well, clearly, and he's clearly struggling against lefties, but I think he's being a little bit unlucky. And I don't think that anything with him is necessarily broken, but uh, there should be some like positive regression coming for him. Um, so I'm not so sure. Sh- I, I, I don't feel great about my preseason Cy Young pick or like Orioles Cy Young. <laughs> I'm not insane. It was an Orioles specific Cy Young award. Um, I don't feel great about that, but I do think he'll get back to being like a sub five ERA type of guy. Like you said, Eli, a lot of, a lot of things about him should make for a better pitcher this year. And I think that those things will eventually shine through. It's a little upsetting that he hasn't pitched well against the bad teams we've talked about so far. Um, he had like one good start against the nationals and that was it. <laughs> right. And the, all his numbers includes like seven innings of like scorelessness or whatever it was against the nationals. Um, right. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, there, there, there's some stuff there, but I think there's enough there to like, and also there's nobody right now pushing him. I don't think for a spot in the Orioles rotation, like the other options are Spencer Watkins, Bruce Zimmerman, like Zimmerman's right. been good in Norfolk right now, but we know what he is in the majors. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you you could get DL Dean Kramer start. Yeah. So take Kramer any day over Bruce Zimmerman. Right. So I think you're yeah. going to let Kramer figure it out right now. Um, I'm not immediately worried, uh, but yeah, it's not, it's not great. That's why, you know, I, I start to think about the rotation because, you know, I said earlier means will be back eventually. I feel like they've got to make a trade. So then it's like, okay, well that's two guys who, whose spots are they taking? And right now I feel like it's, it's Kramer and Bradish, which is weird, but I think those are the spots that are the most vulnerable right now. Right. Um, yeah. Hopefully that changes, but that feels like the current situation. I don't know if you guys like, have thoughts. I would love if Gibson was the one that was vulnerable, well, but yeah. <laughs> I think he'd have to really fall apart for that to happen. Right. But I mean, and... It's possible. I mean, we... More likely is he'd get traded than, you know... Yeah. He, he gets just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, right. Gibson's been better than both of them so far, though. And oh yeah, that should be acknowledged. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, no, but I mean, but in terms of like, I don't know, thinking about long term and stuff like that, I would yeah. definitely much prefer Kramer or Bradish to have success for the Orioles this year than I would Kyle Gibson to be good for us. Yeah, but if you can trade for someone, you get John Means back, and then you have you know the two you traded for, you have Means. You have Grayson Rodriguez, and then did I say Grace? What am I saying? I don't know. What are you? Okay, <laughs> John Means, Grayson yeah. Rodriguez, the person we traded for, a free agent, and then just one more, right? Like Tyler Wells. Tyler Wells, yeah. I mean that that's a great rotation, you know. Well, and yeah, and I don't. So I don't my think... point is, yeah, in, in a future world, you can exist without Dean Kramer and Kyle Bradish. Not that I want to necessarily. I'm right. just, yeah. It's feasible. I mean, signing a free agent to a one-year deal like every year is a is a repeatable process. Like I think a lot of good teams sign a fifth starter for eight million dollars, ten million dollars most off seasons. For sure. Um. All right. Moving on from Dean to our final topic here, Jorge Mateo, which we've kind of talked about him a little bit 
so far. Um, Jesse, I think you had put down Mateo as sort of a topic you wanted to touch on here uh, to wrap up the episode. Um, I think the big thing with Mateo this year is just how different he's been offensively. Um, I don't know if you had anything specific you really wanted to kind of touch on there as far as what Jorge, what the 2023 version of Jorge Mateo, how he differs from uh, previous versions. Well, I mean, Eli, Eli, I think, talked about this a little while ago um, on a previous podcast or something. But the glaring and obvious thing is just the swing decisions, the the approach at the plate. Um, there's such a contrast. Um, and it's it's really reflected in. I mean, the, I'm, <laughs> right now, I mean, he would be the, the you know, in the MVP conversation uh, if the season ended today. I mean, his numbers are just through the roof right now. Um, I guess I'm the the discussion I'm sort of interested in is 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 this is he just hot right now or is this a different hitter than we had last year? And I'm tempted to say that um, not that these numbers necessarily will continue, but I do think. I definitely more air on this is a different hitter um, than we saw last year. Um, I don't think there was any stretch for any two week period last year or one week period last year where <laughs> Mateo had these numbers. Right. Yeah. So I, there wasn't a situation last year where he got really hot and put this sort of uh, collection of stats together. So um I, I I definitely do kind of feel like he uh, has sort of um, sort of made some connections and really figured it out uh, hitting wise uh, in the majors. Um, and yeah, I feel I'm, I, I mean, I'm really, really excited about um, to watch him the rest of the year defense. Uh, of course the defense goes without saying, but I, I even mean at the plate and uh, offensively too. I mean, um and let alone on on the base pass as always so yeah i mean last year i remember we were having a conversation i mean i remember palmer one time and this is kind of how i always thought about it he was so good defensively that palmer was talking about we just got to get this guy to hit 240 at the plate right (laughs) and and this is a uh, a great shortstop and we're excited and you know, have him hit 15 home runs. He didn't say this part, but, you know, 240, 15, 20 home runs, you know, something like that. I mean, but he's been incredible so far. And I I, I think I think um, he definitely like could be a plus offensive shortstop in the league. Um, and I, I, I think we're seeing him really um, about to break out this season. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to agree with you that he seems like a different player. I was trying to look because when he first came over to the Orioles last year or not last year, 2021 from the Padres, he was kind of like on fire at the plate. Um, yeah. So, so I went and looked at that stretch uh, from August 6th, the 29th of 2021, batted 353, but had just one home run. His OBP was only 380, which is good, but with a 353 uh, batting average, not great. He only walked twice in that stretch. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's actually a really bad OBP <laughs> for having uh, 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 a batting average yeah. that high. Right. Yeah. Right. So, you know, that was when I think he was hitting like his absolute best with the Orioles prior to right now. And then over on baseball savant, like a number, I mean, obviously there's a bunch of red that's really 
intriguing, <laughs> but the number that kind of like jumps off the page to me is his launch angle right now is only 5.7. So whereas previously it was 14.8 last year, 14.1 the year before, and then 28.5 in a really small sample size the year before. But he that to me sounds like he's not really trying to hit home runs as much as he's trying to put the bat on the ball, uh, put it in play and be, it's like, it's very much like the Willie Mays Hayes for major league type of situation. Like stop hitting the ball in the top of the batting cage put it in play and use your legs. And I mean, for him, it's turning into home runs. So that's right. Now he's hitting more home runs. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. But, but it's allowing him also to be more disciplined because he's striking out way less walking a little bit more. I mean, yeah. feels like a different player to me. I don't know, Eli, what do you think? Yeah, I fully agree. Uh, I, I'll like spare the listeners from just repeating everything you guys said, <laughs> but you know, definitely the swing decisions are different. The one thing I did want to focus on Tyler, you mentioned that Dean Kramer's 18.3 or 18% uh, home run per fly ball rate was insanely high to kind of echo the launch angle sentiment on how he's not really hitting the ball in the air, but when he is, he's doing it with authority. <laughs> Jorge Mateo's home run per fly ball rate is 27.3. And yeah. this was a l- little while ago. It's from a Fangraphs article I'm looking at. But, um, you know, so the point is that it it is true. He is more like, line drive oriented and honestly a five degree launch angle is pretty low um his ground ball rate is pretty high but you know like through and through you are seeing him lay off of pitches uh this fangrass article mentioned that last year he was seeing 22 percent of his pitches up in the count this year he's seeing over over a third so a 10 percent increase in the pitches he's seeing he's now ahead in the count he is doing damage on pitches that are, you know, in his hot zones. Um, I, I agree, you know, and the strikeout rate has gone from, I just had it up. It was uh, 27.6% last year to 15, 15.2% this year so far. You know, the walk rate has gone up two and a half percent. He definitely, you know, these are like, we talked, we had the discussion with Gunner about like building a foundation for having, a you know productive season with the bat and doing so by establishing that you are seeing pitches well Jorge Mateo is clearly doing that you know and sure there might be some inflation you know batting average on balls in play that home run per fly ball rate all these things are going to regress a bit but like Jesse said you know he if he keeps up half of this is a like top half of the league shortstop offensively we know what he can do with the glove and those two things coupled together turns him into like pretty elite company, you know, top 10 shortstop in the league. No doubt about it. I I just want to say too, that right. Like with the kind of player he is, he can't be striking out 27% of the time. I mean, he can and (laughs) may, but that demonstrates that there definitely needs to be a change in the approach in my view. And he's done that. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's always a chance that, I don't know, you know, we saw it with Chris Davis that he could get told by MLB he's not allowed to use ADHD or not allowed to use Adderall next year. And like, that's just to say plenty of things can happen and you can lose the ability to see the ball. Well, you know, you have natural fluctuations in it. So like, expect some regression from this point right here but uh, there's a lot of reason to have some faith that what he has done 
has put him in a much better place offensively than he was last year. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think the one uh, last thing I'll say about him is just that there's always been this talent inside of him. I mean, he was like one of the big op, one of the big guys that came to the Yankee or to the, the athletics, I'm sorry, in the Sonny Gray trade with the Yankees. Um, so like this has been a guy, he was a top 30 prospect uh, many years ago, always been uber talented. And sometimes it's just guys are late bloomers and uh, he might be closer to for real, or these numbers might be closer to for real than, than we might've expected. Um, yeah. Like Eli said, some regression will come, but yeah, I mean, he suddenly feels like the Orioles shortstop of the next couple of years when I, I wasn't coming into the season expecting that. So um, pretty exciting. Absolutely. I think what happened, he saw these these two guys behind him at the Republic of <laughs> I was going to make Republic a joke Israel about this. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I don't even know if we said that on here, but Jesse and I ended up sitting behind him and we spent like a good 10 minutes like hitting each other like, dude, is it him? Is it him? And I'm like, nah, it's not him. Uh, Jesse, I think it's him. And then. Yeah, well, we didn't. We didn't. We didn't really go back and forth. We were just kind of like. Well, it was like silent. You know, it was. Yeah. Yeah. That there when was. You, there was definitely an elbow, and we were trying to confirm. But when yeah. you did, you did text me the back of his head, and yeah, yeah, I, I immediately was like Mateo, and you're like, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. 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 It was pretty that, cool. That he was very hair. nice. Well, yeah. That's good. He seems like a nice guy. I'll I'll say most of the Orioles on this team seem seem nice, which you know, not that that. I mean, it matters, but you, know, ma- you want to see him matters win to me. first and foremost. Yeah. But I, I always remember somebody, my mom always liked Brooke Fordyce back in the day. This hmm. man, we've watched some bad Oriole teams, but <laughs> <laughs> my mom liked Brooke Fordyce. And then somebody, one of my friends or something said they had asked him for like an autograph after a game and he like completely blew him off and just wasn't nice to him. And that just made me like not like Brooke Fordyce anymore, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that, that's very. Uh, okay. I'm sorry. Wasn't it Brooks? No, no Brook Fordyce. It's just Brook. Yeah, Brooke singular. That's crazy. He's just, he's just one Brook. Yeah, a babbling Brook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was. He wasn't memorable enough, I guess, to remember how his name was spelled. But yeah. Anyway, hopefully hmm. we don't have any Brook Fordyces. Fordyce, I. I don't know. On this team. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I mean that that stuff does matter to me, and yeah. it, it it is important to me that. <laughs> there's no there's nobody on the team i'm like hoping we trade at the deadline because it's like i don't want this guy around like you know right. so um yeah i i like that that yeah absolutely and um, we have a very seemingly lovable team oh god something terrible will come out now um all right well we're starting off may this week uh the orioles have a different kind of schedule coming up. Three games against the Royals, three against the Braves. That's kind of a different sort of one. We don't mm. we don't get to see that uh, much, but I guess we we do now. I think you play every team in the league now. I'm excited but, to see Acuna play. He's yeah. tearing it up. He is He's tearing it up. up. I, I think we're going to get Spencer Strider too, if I remember Oof. right. Yikes! Mm. That's going to yeah. test my theory of not striking out. I guess <laughs> right. it's it's also going to test our theory of. How good are the Orioles? Are we just beating up on bad teams? Well, yeah, because this we gonna go? Yeah, this gauntlet of at the Braves versus the Rays versus the Pirates, who are good, um, and then the Angels come to town, which is probably around the time we'll record our next episode. But Angels are not good, but they've got Otani, they've got Trout. You know, they're always fun to watch. So, I also just realized 
I don't know why I didn't think about this before, but we went 10 and 2, and the two losses were when Eduardo Rodriguez pitched against us. So oh. we beat we beat everybody except Eduardo Rodriguez. Well, <laughs> didn't they? Because he no, they swept no. the the Tigers the last time. No, the first time we swept the Tigers. Yeah, we ended up beating Eduardo. Oh, you're right. When he had the better oh. game. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm miss seeing this thing. Oh, the 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 I see the 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 when he had the perfect game, we yeah, ended yeah. up coming back against the bullpen. Right. Oh, yes. okay. Got you. Yeah, the other okay. loss was against well, the. Uh, Red My Sox, th- I think. Yes. The 10 and 2. Yeah, I'm looking well, on got this I'm, written, it is kind of weird. Yeah, I'm looking outline. on this outline, and I see <laughs> oh, yeah. Detroit and Jeez. 2 and 1, you know, so. The, yeah, who the who first, wrote the, the outline? First th- I did. Yeah. Yeah. The first thing these <laughs> listeners need to know, the first thing these listeners need to know is that any assumption that this podcast is organized in any way ahead of time is an absolute farce. Yeah, didn't happen. The guy that wrote the outline can't read the outline. <laughs> Well, yeah, that, I mean, you're right. You're 100% right. I can't read the outline. Uh, I, I'll have to think about a new way to like format that part next time. Yeah. I mean, I know, I know it's fine, but I, I'm, tr- I, I can't even think of a different way to do it at the, I mean, I guess I could do bullet points underneath, but that seems a little extra. I don't know. So we'll figure it out. All right. Well, we'll let the listeners know what kind of dashes <laughs> yeah. we decide on. If the listeners have any suggestions, they can email us. At, you know, <laughs> yeah, please. <laughs> spend, please. Spend some time doing okay. that. Wait, I, I have to put Jesse on blast for this. So we there all we like rotate making the outlines. And there was a long period for the first couple of years we were doing this show that Jesse would just go <laughs> dash and then start typing and then go to the next line and do dash, start typing. I, and I we were just saying, you just got to hit, that. you just got to hit dash space so that it indents itself. It, it like, it drove me. And I think this is probably because I'm his brother and, you yeah. know, little things about us annoy each other. But it was just like, you just got to hit a space after it. And then <laughs> next time you hit enter, you don't even have to type the dash. You know, the dash will just be there for you. It'll already be nicely formatted, indented. It drove me absolutely nuts. I, I will say I got sort of, well, I was fortunate this time making the outline because as you guys can both probably tell, I copied and pasted the last outline oh. and then just changed all the, you know, don't, all the don't you have a Don't you have a master's degree? Yeah, I do. <laughs> we're gonna have not, to find, find not a in Microsoft here. Word though. Yeah. Not in Microsoft Word. Well, you know? this is Google Docs, so I don't well, know if that translates. But... It's like I I do have a master's degree, but if you ask me about chemistry, I'm gonna be very very middle school with That's that. Not I gotta quite say. the same thing. <laughs> okay. Literally everybody uses. I hear Word you. Doc. It's okay. That's true. That's true. Yeah. All right. Well, we gotta wrap this up, but yeah, that's the schedule coming up. Uh, we'll we'll be back in a couple of weeks to record. A uh, reminder to follow us on all the social media, Twitter in particular at the Warehouse Pod. Uh, subscribe to the podcast, please, on various podcast platforms: Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, everywhere else. And as Jesse said, if you've got opinions on the formatting of our outlines, please email us uh, thewarehousepod <laughs> at gmail.com. Um, but that's about it, guys. Um, I think we're good, and hopefully the Orioles uh win another 10 out of 12 games that'd be pretty cool i was gonna say look i mean if if we come back and the orioles sort of have this same record maybe they overtake first place maybe joey ortiz is back on the team i mean i could definitely see 
a podcast to uh, a podcast or two down the road, we're going to be turning this episode or uh, a future episode into just a giant party because the Orioles are doing so great. So <laughs> I think you're going to say we I, should keep dogging on them that, you know, oh, as long no, as they're winning, no, 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 no. Okay. no so I, I, I do feel like I also want to say one thing. I, I think that <laughs> I came off a little overly negative. I think that what I was trying to say is I think the current form of the Orioles and how we are playing right now is not 19 and nine good. Yeah. But I think that the ceiling for this Orioles team is, you you know, like approaching levels that we haven't seen since the playoff run. You know, I think the ceiling for this team is super, super high, especially, you know, if Gunner starts to impact the ball, Adley keeps doing what he's doing. Jorge Mateo stays where he is. Cedric Mullins has been tearing the cover off the ball. We, we didn't give him any credit in this episode. Yeah. But, you know, then, like, if Mounty starts to find his footing again, Santander starts to make some adjustments, like, this lineup turns into, you know, a, a really, really good lineup. You know, we could approach top five in the AL, I think. Um, and then, you know, like, We've talked about the rotation needs to take some steps forward, but we've seen flashes of absolute brilliance from Bradish, from Kramer. Um, we know we have a solid thing in Kyle Gibson. Grayson Rodriguez like had a good last outing. Hopefully we'll continue to take steps forward. So I think that like the potential for this is so beautiful. And it's something that you know we are eagerly, eagerly following here at the warehouse pod. Absolutely. Yeah, the best is yet to come. Definitely. For sure. All right. Well, I think we'll end it on that note. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to this uh, week's episode or this part of the month's ep- episode of the Warehouse <laughs> Podcast. Um, uh, until next time, I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. And as always, let's go O's.